welcome to the Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bubbles, and welcome back to the fifth Sunday after Pentecost for the week of July 5th, 2020, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and I'm excited that we're in this weird year, but an awesome time of the year where we have lots of celebration. Happy Canada Day this last week in Canada, and happy Independence Day here in the United States. Typically a time when people get together and spend time together, and in this weird world in which we're in at least till here in the United States, it means that we still have to be somewhat distant and still somewhat cautious, and it's making for an interesting and weird year, but it also, I think, continues to show us how much we really do care and value each other and how much it's hard for us to be doing this for this extended period of time. And I think it really kind of also spins the narrative of making sure that we're spending enough time with Christ ourselves. You know, if this is a relationship that we're desiring and that we're needing to have, that we then need to be making sure that we're doing the same thing and how much God probably at times longs for us to be able to connect with him. And I know even for my own self, there's times where I probably need to do a better job about it than I do. And it's something that we're all continuing to work on, and there's no better time than the present to be able to work on that. And it fits decently well within the Twitter question that we had last week is, when has welcoming someone benefited not only them, but you in your life? And it was amazing how many different responses I got back from this. I had ones talking about college roommates and that if I hadn't put myself out there to really get to know this person and and welcome them, I wouldn't have been able to feel comfortable where I was and be able to get to know people at college as well as I did. I had different examples of people going back to high school and connecting with the outcasts and how there was so much that they were able to learn just by being their friend and being willing to take that step out there, that risk, and how much had has benefited both sides. But one of them that really stood out this last week was a person that I know decently well and that he got to be on the admission side for a college, a fairly prestigious college, and was interviewing a potential person on going into that college and how as this has evolved over time and them getting accepted into this college and inviting them to dinner and being able to see this person grow up and within, in this case, the medical field and keep that connection, how important that has been for them to continue to grow and learn and benefit just from the relationship of having each other. And I think it's one of the things right now that we're really feeling. And I, again, I bring back to the whole point of, are we making sure that we're spending enough time with God? Are we really reaping the benefits that God has for us at we're at times not spending enough time with him to be able to fully see and understand these gifts, these benefits that God does have for us as long as we ask and are spending time. It's the whole idea of the more time you spend in your textbook, the more things to an extent you learn to be able to do better on the test. And I think there's this life example here within faith. The more we spend time with God, the better we end up slowly understanding God and having deeper questions and helping us to start to process some of these deeper questions. And we probably won't have it all figured out by the time we kick the bucket in this lifetime. 
but it at least gives us a head start on knowing our creator when we die and go and get to meet him in person. But let's just jump right into this week's text, and boy, do we have an interesting arrangement of them this week. The gospel text is out of Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 19 and 25 through 30. And boy, do we got a nice conglomeration of things. And I think there's a lot of things to dig into. First, 16 through 19 is talking about John the Baptist and Jesus recognizing and seeing how the people weren't understanding what John the Baptist was really all about. And that they cast him aside and was saying he's not worthy. He's this just crazy person and there's nothing here. No need to continue to follow. Yet he was the one that was living differently and was trying to steer the people and prepare the people in a new direction for Jesus coming. The verses that are omitted from 20 to 24 is woes towards certain cities. So this whole idea of being careful and I would recommend at least checking that out somewhat on your own. And then 25 through 30, we get this Jesus kind of talking about the affirmation of that God knows the Son and the Son knows the Father and that we can lay our burdens on him and that he will then continue to show who he is by doing that, but also that it will give us rest and that showing that kinder, compassionate side of Christ. But I think it's also important to pair this with the text that we have talking about John the Baptist. And I think there's some nice interplay that we'll look at a little bit further here this week. The first reading is from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 12. We have this prediction text. If you want to get it, we get it typically around Christmas time or because we have the donkey and colt adage, we'll get it a little bit around Palm Sunday. But again, this foreseeing of this person who will bring hope to these people who have been cast aside, bringing hope to the people of Israel who at this point are not free, that there will be a leader to help lead them out of what has been going on. The alternative first reading is from Genesis chapter 24, verses 34 through 38, 42 through 49, and 58 through 67. This is kind of an interesting transitional text, and I definitely picked this up from Working Preacher from Ralph Jacobson, talking about how this is kind of a transitional text, kind of talking about the fulfillment of the promise made to Sarah. Sarah has died in the chapter before this. Now you have Abraham and Isaac, and Isaac, as you remember from last week, was nearly put to death on an altar. So it's this transitional text of Abraham sending out a servant and saying that the Lord has someone set aside for Isaac. And in doing that, these certain things have to happen when you're going to get water and whoever that is, see if they can bring her back. And that's what happens. Rebecca then accepts Isaac and they become this married couple, which then continues the lineage and continues the promise that was made to Sarah. The psalm this week is Psalm 145, verses 8 through 14. This is, again, showing the love that God has for us, like we talked about just before this in the promise to Sarah. But the love that God has for us helps transition us and move us toward better understanding who God is and that he really does have this love to want to be there with us in these times and help 
bring us through difficult situations as long as we are willing and able to continue to lay these things and give thanks to God for helping us through these situations. The second reading is from Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25a. I see this as a very Paul-like text. I just, the first few lines here I'll read, I just feel very Paul-like. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but cannot do it. Verses 15 through 18. So this whole idea in this interplay of how sin helps separate us from Christ and that it's the love of Christ. It's the Christ in us, the Holy Spirit stirring within us that helps guide us back to the right path. And that's not really the flesh leads us astray, but it is the Spirit of Christ within us that helps us connect with God, but also gives us the guidance to steer us toward where we are supposed to be going. So before I jump into how faith and science this week come together, I have to do my seamless plug for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Braidway's podcast, their commentaries, their discussions, as you've already heard this week, I've already referenced it because I love having four different seminary professors between Matt Skinner, Ralph Jacobson, Joy J. Moore, and Caroline Lewis just in their podcast, being able to help give me, since I'm not an ordained minister, some direction on how to take these texts. But there's also multiple different commentaries on the text for multiple years, plus having different general discussions. If you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. The gospel text this week, I think, really kind of brings all of this together. And I think the contrast between what we have Jesus talking about with John the Baptist and then the laying the burdens on Christ is this really interesting interplay. Because we have this part where it's talking about, we played the flute for you, you did not dance. We wailed, you did not mourn, coming from verse 17. So this whole idea of how we're lazy, but that we also need to give ourselves rest by giving the burdens to Christ. Which to me, I think is a really interesting kind of, those seem like polar opposites. And this is where I pick up from this. I pick up how we are called to still do stuff, to live a life that's different than others, but also realize in that fact that there is a point where we can only do so much. There is a point where we can't do anything further. We have to lay that rest of that on Christ. And a lot of times that's going to feel really heavy. When I was thinking about this, and I'll attach some pictures down below. It reminded me of something I did in high school and ended up going back and doing a few different times in college with high school students of microinvertebrates in some type of body of water and helping use those to determine the health of a body of water. You see, based off of the different species 
of these microinvertebrates. So we're talking different beetles, different larvae for dragonflies and flies, the different types of snails, the different types of like crawfish and different even leeches and different things of that nature based on the prevalence of them and how many of them are there and based off of these different categories you're able to determine how healthy the waterway is and I had a lot of fun as a kid doing this and it was one of the projects I know from working with my high school biology teacher shout out to Brian Collins multiple times with this is it was a really fun project we go in the streams you're scraping rocks and pick you know seeing what it is and having somebody taking you know notes on how many of each of these different things do we find so you're you know have a thing in there and just catching water and then dumping it through a screen and seeing if there's anything in there you're scraping rocks you're you know playing in the water what better thing to be doing as a high school class that was just super super fun to do and nets and different things of that nature but then based off of what we found we were able to giving different weight to these different categories we were able to figure out a rough average on where it fits and then we can be able to figure out how healthy or unhealthy the stream is and in doing that there was multiple things that were actually going on one it was the process of first figuring out where the stream was two going through and then understanding where is that waterway coming from what are different things that it could be picking up along the way is there things that we can improve it but then every year we were doing it about the same time of year so then it was this also this point of wait and see and it's one of the hardest things within science within life in general is wait and see it's been something i think right now within the world we've been having this whole thing of wait and see and to me that waiting and seeing is part of us being humble enough to give our burdens to christ realizing that in this time and in this place we have worked on we have done the work to understand what is going on and understanding that this stream maybe needs some help understanding that here are things that we're looking at and doing and maybe we're planting trees or different things to help this stream out but there's also a point where we can't just snap our fingers and suddenly everything is taken care of we have to wait and see we have to let god be god and us understand that we are the hands and feet to help god be god but there's a point where we can't be God. We have to let God be God by letting it go, giving it to God, and letting us rest and see what God is doing. There's a lot of different restoration within land and different things of that nature. And we've talked about this before, where it's not like we can, can snap our fingers and suddenly a forest appears. A forest takes time. There's succession. There's a change over time that happens. We need to be continued to be transformed in the same way with our faith. If we are not being transformed and moving forward, I would argue that we're then not being the hands and feet of who God is calling us to be. 
There are going to be times where we're going to be called out as being this super odd, super peculiar person based off of what we're doing. But sometimes we have to realize that they maybe aren't seeing the whole picture. They aren't seeing what we're trying to accomplish. Trying to clean up a stream or clean up something to do something like that, it seems hopeless at times. It seems overwhelming with what we have to do. We have to realize that we are a part of something much bigger than ourselves. One other example, and again, I'll attach links down below. One of my favorite places that I've gotten to visit multiple times is Rio Salado in downtown Phoenix. And it's along a dried up riverbed of the Salt River. And it used to be a major dumping ground. And over a long period of time, they straightened and cleaned up to try to restore somewhat this dried up waterbed and started making it a National Audubon Center along with reintroducing burrowing owls even through artificial dens to the area letting them be where they would have been and it gives this really interesting contrast of that you're in still downtown Phoenix but then having this glimpse of what it was like when the city wasn't here but we have to take time to appreciate it. We have to understand that the work is hard. We have to understand that there's times where we can't do it all right now, that this is a continuing moving target. This is a lot of what science in general is. Science in general is this constantly moving forward thing, constantly trying to learn and understand something at a deeper level. Whether it's collecting microinvertebrates to understand a stream and to understand how healthy is that stream and is there more action that we need to be taking to try to help that stream? Or is there a point where we've done everything we can do, now we need to sit and wait and see what the changes are? I purposely haven't been trying to talk about COVID-19 because we're all fatigued on it. But one of the most difficult things that I've been watching all of us wrestle with is how long it takes for us to know what changes are actually working and which changes aren't. Because of how long the incubation period is for COVID-19 to have the effect show up between 10 to 14 days, and then it takes, you know, going to the hospital and going through that diagnosis and a potentially another week before the hospital has all its data. And now you're talking three plus weeks before the data gets out on whether or not the different changes of what we're doing, how they are affecting things. Along with understanding that there's more testing going on and factoring in all these different factors, which makes it extremely difficult to fully feel like we have a grasp on what is going on. We wrestle with this idea. Think about like when Zachariah here is talking to these captive people and saying that there will be someone delivering them. Okay, great. When? When are you doing this? It's great to know that there is someone who is coming, who is going to provide a way for us out. But when? How long do I have to wait. We see that Sarah gets this promise and literally dies and then God continuing the promise with her that he made that yes, this will be this great generation. You just might not see it. How hard would it have been for Sarah 
to know this, to do this. There's faith that takes action in this way to understand that this is still going to happen. The psalm showing us that love and Romans and Paul talking about this wrestle that we have and part of it is because of the change in who we are and at times we don't see the change right away. We give thanks to God because he has died and has gone through this for this and that we are attempting to be better but we fall flat so often and part of it because of our lack of patience. With that patience comes the understanding of God may be changing us along the way. Just like part of what they kept saying that he he has a demon, he's a drunkard, a glutton, he's friends of tax collectors and sinners, all stuff said to John the Baptist. And Jesus complimenting him, but also trying to call us out and realize that we just couldn't see what God was doing. We were so short-sighted. We weren't seeing the picture. And even with the disciples and us struggling on, we want to just carry our burdens ourselves. We don't like giving them up. We don't like having this feeling of being dependent on someone else. But that's exactly what the Christian faith is exactly about, is us being dependent on someone other than ourselves. And I'd argue tying this back around to the first examples here, We struggle with it in our own environment. When we see that things are dirty, we don't like putting in the work, the time, the work, the effort to be able to, this is going to be a project. This is going to be something that's going to take a while. There's going to be a lot of hurry up and wait to see the changes that I'm doing if they are positive. But when you are able to see the results of that work, the sense of I accomplished something, This sense of pride that's a pride for not only us, but it's really a pride that leads us to giving thanks. And it's not really truly a pride. It's this feeling of giving thanks that we were able to see the work of what God is doing and that we were able to be part of the hands and feet to make it happen. You see, to me, that's part of what the whole scientific experiment is all about. When you're able to start to have an answer to a question, the feeling of thanks that we were able to be in the time and the place when that is revealed to us to understand. How amazing is that? When I am listening to these, this text, especially out of Matthew this week, and glancing over those woes, of how we often are so short-sighted that we can't see the long vision. And even as I get older, I hope and I pray that I continue to see the long vision. Because yes, there is a time and a moment and a place to focus on the here and now. But if I lose sight of the future, I have lost everything. Because suddenly then I'm putting everything on myself and I've also become this person that's so skeptical of everything that is going on that could potentially change how I am looking at things, that I have become death to the voice of God. So there is a point, there's a time and a place to be present and to focus on what the here and now, but still continue to have an eye to the future to understand how is this fitting into this? And is my vision for the future off? 
Do I need to recalibrate that vision of the future based off of I'm not understanding the here and now well enough? This is the interplay that we are in. This is the interplay of science consistently. The results of what we figure out now change the results of our future. It's fun. It's challenging. And it continues to move us forward. So the Twitter question this week will be this of where has your lack of patience caused you to lose vision? Where has your lack of patience caused you to lose vision of the future? Because I know in my life there's been definite times where I get so frustrated and so upset that it causes me to lose my way. It gets me so upset that suddenly I set something down and I don't come back to it. And it causes me to then not help that or whatever it is be the potential of what it needs to be. It causes me to be like what Paul is talking about, that it's the sin within me that causes me to do what I don't want to do. There's things that I want to get done but suddenly don't get done because of myself. And I think there's a lot of times that we can reflect on that and see that our own lack of patience is causing us to have lack of vision. It's this hard interplay of playing and looking at the here and now and understanding the here and now is still affecting our understanding and vision of going forward. And the vision of looking to the future also affects the here and now. Then that doesn't even bring into account how our past affects present. These three play and intertwine so much. And at times, if we get so narrow-minded and narrow-focused on the one, we won't ever move forward. And we are a people who are called to move forward. If I look at the stream and realize that the invertebrates that I have in there tell me that it's poor water quality, I can either sit there and do nothing about it, or I can try making progress, try investigating, and continue to put love and service into that and trust that God is still going to be God. And as I study, there are points that I have to let go and understand that God will continue to show me steps forward. And that through that time, I will start to see God's hand and God's work within wherever I'm at. We are called to be the hands and feet, but we are also called to give our burdens to the Lord. This is the thing that is the most difficult of any of the parts of Scripture in a lot of ways. This interplay of that we're called to do things, but we're also called to understand when we need to let go. We are called to do the work and called to understand there's a point where at this point we just have to let God be God. In a world in which right now there's a lot of chaos, we have to continue to try to understand each other, what is all going on environmentally and socially and spiritually and physically and scientifically, but also realize at some point we also have to let God be God. That interplay is hard. That interplay is difficult. There's a lot of tears that are shed over this interplay and it doesn't mean that we sit and do nothing and it doesn't mean that we pick up and just keep working it's finding that balance of that we do the work and then give god some we do the work and we give god some 
And God will also help us understand when it's time to rest. I pray that we all continue to work on that interplay because I know myself, I struggle with that interplay. I struggle with that feeling and knowing when to continue to push and when just to sit back and let God be God for the time being. It's that humble part, that humble part of that realizing that we aren't in control, that God is. And sometimes that's the hardest thing for us because we want the credit, we want the acknowledgement, but it's really not us doing the work. It's us being the hands and feet of Christ. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.